Log Talk Radio. Welcome to Trundlebed Tales uh, Radio, and this is Sarah Utoff, your host. And we're having just a slight problem tonight, so I'm going to quickly check and make sure that our guest is on the hold line, like I think she is. Uh, Kitty, I'm just checking. Is there? Are you there? I am here. Yes. Oh, great! Trying to call me. Yes, and it was. I am so sorry that I have a technical difficulty with my phone. Oh, that's all right. I'm glad. That's all that counts. Okay, I'm going to take you back off air for a minute just because I want to get a a couple things checked in with the audience, but I'll be right back to you in a minute. Okay. Okay, well, that makes me feel a lot better. (laughs) I was having a little trouble getting a hold of Kitty, and I was like, well, this is going to be a long time if I'm talking about it by myself. But uh, luckily, Kitty's here, and we're all ready to go. So I want to welcome you to Trendle Bed Tales Radio. If you're unfamiliar with the Blog Talk Radio uh, website, you can both stream live, you can chat, and you can also listen live by your cell phone or you can call in and ask a question. Now, if you want to do that, the numbers are 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253. Or toll-free, 1-877-633-9389. That's 1-877-633-9389. And before we get going on anything else, I do need to make one correction from my last episode. I was talking about uh, aprons and giving kind of a introduction of a history of aprons. And I mentioned the kind that had a white plastic loop that was used instead of ties. And I said that was from the 70s. And actually, I was informed that I was a little late on that, that that was actually came out in the late 50s, uh, early 1960s. So I always like to uh, mention it if I get something wrong. Looking ahead on Trundle Bed Tales Radio, next month we're going to have as an interview guest Paul Jewell, who's going to be talking about uh, the. He's going to be talking about Harland, Mount Pleasant, and the Abraham Lincoln connection to Iowa, which I think is going to be really interesting. In October, we're going to have uh, Julie Williams talking about. Uh, Carrie Ingalls Swainsey, and as that's been sort of her focus, I'm really looking forward to that. November, we're going to be talking to our friends from Spring Valley. Uh, I don't have anybody set up for December yet, but then in January, we're going to be talking to Amy Lauders about the Laura Palooza conference, which will be, of course, in July of 2012. And I hope that you will check back on our website and uh, look for upcoming episodes. Also remember that around the first of the month, I try and do an update in Laura Fandom to tell you what's going on during the month. And then I also will do a half-hour show where I'm just talking about a subject. And I haven't gotten a a subject set for sure for uh, September, but I'll sure let you know. And also check out our Travel Times episodes where we talk with somebody who's an insider about 
uh, something that's a great place to go and visit. And this last month we did the Iowa State Fair with my mom, and that was a lot of fun, and I think that you'll enjoy the Travel Times episodes too. I also want to give you one heads up. We're still having a little technical difficulty with the Skype from time to time. So uh, if I cut out, uh, don't worry, I will be back soon. And I think that is the end of our housekeeping. And we're going to bring Kitty back on the air. So welcome aboard, Kitty. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, I've really been looking forward to it. Uh, Kitty is just a wonderful person to talk to, so I think she's going to be a wonderful guest tonight, and I'm sure you're all going to enjoy her. Um, Let's just uh, start out with you talking a little bit about your background and what you do now. Okay. Well, I grew up in Minneapolis, uh, and as a second grader, my teacher read Little House in the Big Woods out loud to our class, which was, those are just wonderful memories, and introduced me to Laura, who was then sort of a childhood friend. Uh, And I, I grew up in Minneapolis. I was always a reader. And after we were married, my husband and I were looking for a more rural community to live in, and we kind of traveled around within an hour or so, a couple hours of Minneapolis. And I guess when we looked at Pepin, I was interested that that was Laura's birthplace. And I won't say that we moved to Pepin because of Laura, but I think it gave Pepin a little edge in our selection of a community. Um, My husband and I are both involved in traditional handcrafts, and we both love the books by Laura Ingalls Wilder because she describes all the skills that people had. They had those skills commonly. That was part of the education of people in their era, to learn how to to make things by hand. And... uh, In Pepin, we have a little shop. My husband, Tom, is a blacksmith making things out of forged iron, and I do tin work. I'm a tinsmith, and I guess particular to Laura Ingalls' wilder days since the event began in 1991, I've I've designed a special commemorative cookie cutter every year with images of Laura and or shapes of Laura and the other characters in her books. Yeah, it's just beautiful. The work that Kitty does is just, I love her uh, t- her tin work ornaments. You, It's just an outline, but really you can tell exactly what the character is. I just love them to death. They're beautiful. And she has a little book that has a list of all of them that she did, and I just I love that. <laughs> Um, and I also have one of her tin cups. How is the tin cup coming? work coming? Are you thinking you're getting better oh. at it? Well, you know, I'm always striving to get better. But, you know, I've, I've demonstrated. I'll probably be demonstrating making tin cups during Laura Ingalls Wilder days again this year. 
Well, I hope so. I just think that is so cool. And to have one of my tin cups be one that's actually handmade by a tinsmith, I just love Hello? Uh-oh, I lost you. Kitty's Are you there? This one is... Kitty? Yes, I'm here. Okay, okay. I'm running to a different phone to see if it's my phone. I have a battery-powered phone, and I don't hear you. Hello? Are you on this phone? Hello? Hello? Okay. Uh, am I back on now? Okay. Uh, I had a little trouble there and got knocked off, and I think Kitty gave up on me for a second. So I'm going to uh, um, give me just a minute, and I'm going to dial her back, and hopefully this will work out okay. So let's try it again. There we go. Uh, anyway, uh, while we're hopefully getting Kitty back here, I uh, should mention that uh, she has had... Oh, that's going to be good and loud. I'm sure you can hear the, the phone ring. Uh, Kitty is one of the leading lights behind the Laura Ingalls Wilder Days in Pepin and um, has been involved with uh, several different aspects of it. And uh, it's been... Okay, let's see. Come on, All right. Again, if you can hear are me. we on again? Yes, great. Yes, <laughs> there we are. All right, well, there's, uh, I think we had a problem on both ends right about at the same time. Skype, unfortunately, drops me from time to time, and um, they can usually keep hearing you even if they can't hear me, but I, I think we're back on now. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's part of the fun of, of loving technology, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we were talking about why you'd moved to Pepin. So um, besides the Laura connection, what was so attractive about Pepin that you decided to move there? Well, as as young penniless artists, uh, Pepin had beautiful scenery, uh, affordable real estate, and a number of other artists and craftspeople who were homesteading in the community, so we we found a congenial community in Pepin. And Pepin really does have a nice little artist community there. It's great to just walk around the town. There's so many things that you don't normally expect to find in a small town. Um, so, Kitty, you literally wrote the book on Pepin. How did that come about? Well, of course, having grown up reading Laura Ingalls Wilder books, Wilder's books, when I came to Pepin, I would look at the old houses and you know, we would walk around the town and I would just wonder what what 
the town was like when Laura lived here and what things she might have seen that were the, still the same. And I I found that the book hadn't been written yet. I mean, you know, every family that has been here since the village was founded in the 1850s has its own family memory, memories. But generally the types of things people remember are not what the village looked like at a certain time. Laura was born in 1867 and left Pepin for the last time when she was seven years old. So it's a very narrow little window, and uh, there just wasn't information about what the village was like at that exact time. So I, uh, and then friend, a neighbor, actually, she was the wife of the Methodist minister here in Captain Martha Kuhlman, moved to town, and we shared that interest, and both enjoyed walking, and then as we walked, we talked, and uh, began to come up with a plan for how to research and find out a little bit more about what the village had been like, and particularly in the years that Lori Ingalls lived here. And we found that it was kind of exciting because neither, both of us had had been to school and had been interested in history, had taken history classes, but we had never done that type of research where you, we were digging for original documents, I guess mostly censuses, tax records, and old newspapers. Uh, we found a few letters and always dreamed of finding the perfect letter that really detailed uh, somebody else's experience of an adorable little girl named Laura, but we never found that letter. That was just a dream. Well, it's too bad. That would be absolutely perfect. But it's a lovely book anyway. So um, let's see, it's in three parts, right? Yeah, yeah, we, um, of course, even though I think Laura's family is fairly well documented. I guess the first part is the history of Pepin, which is kind of general going back, you know, even to prehistorical periods, the geography of the area and the um, various tribes of Indians that moved through the area and then uh, how the village came to be founded. And then we have a section that Tells about uh, just excerpts of from old newspapers, telling just interesting little colorful details, and then a section on uh, the Ingalls and Quiner families, which that was something that was interesting to me. Although the Laura Ingalls Wilder books are mainly about the nuclear family, the mother, the father, and the children, uh, a lot of families did travel in large extended family groups and the Ingalls and the Quiner families, uh, Ma Carolyn Ingalls had been a Quiner and that was a large extended family group that all came to Pepin County at about the same time in the 1860s. It's very interesting it's very interesting how how people kind of did try and move in like families or from the same towns, different places. They sort of almost tried to move in a community. And the Quiners and Ingalls were especially close because there were three marriages in between them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cousins that Laura played with were double cousins. So if people are interested in your book, which uh, do you want to give the title? I'm not sure if we got that the in there. The title is The Village of Pepin at the Time of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And um, it's available at the um, muse- at my shop in Pepin and at the museum in Pepin, uh, the Laura Ingalls Wilder Society's museum on the highway in hi- Highway 35 in Pepin. And I do mail order also. Um, if you wanted to buy a copy through the mail, it would be uh, I would need to uh, receive a check. Uh, the cost would be 19.95 for the book and for shipping. And if you aren't writing all this down, it's on the Village of Pepin website. Pepin with Wisconsin dot. Oops, is it a com or an org? PepinWisconsin.com, I believe. Yeah, I think that's right. Here, let me try it quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on computer, too. Yeah, it's com. Okay. Uh, okay, so that's great. And if you don't have a copy of Kitty's book, I think that you ought to get one. It's not a a big, thick book, but there's some really great photos and some stuff you are definitely not going to find out about Pep in any other place. And of course, who doesn't want to know more about Laura and Pepin? If you were, you wouldn't be going to Pepin in the first place. So, uh, that, I'm glad we got that in there. And and you mentioned your shop, so... Oh, I was going to add that then the other part of the book is kind of a tour of the village uh, showing what houses, what families were in town at the time so that it uh, would give more detail about the village itself. Okay, back to your question. No, I was just going to say, you mentioned your shop. Did uh, So if people come to Laura not or to Pepin not during the Laura days, that's where they can find you, right? And That's, that's um, right. Our shop is at 412 Second Street. Pepin is kind of an interesting town. Uh, I guess you can, it's a very small town. There are only about 800 people here, and it has three downtowns. Uh, when Laura lived here, in, well, and originally it was founded in the 1850s, and it was a, a river port. So the the main street, uh, the main business street, was right on the riverfront where the boats would come in. And uh, then, in the after the Ingalls family had left, the railroad came to town and ran right along the river, which uh, meant that uh, one side of the first street was demolished uh, to make way for the railroad tracks, and there were trains going by which uh, were really upsetting to horses, so people didn't like to take their horses down on the first street. So then there was kind of a business uh, migration up to Second Street, where our shop is. Our shop was originally built in 1911 as a bank building. But then, of course, the car was developed, and now the main uh, business district is on Highway 35, which is the main highway through Pepin that connects it to other towns. 
So, so anyway, we are on 2nd Street in an old commercial building right next to the grocery store. Which is about a block uh, over from the road that the museum's on. It's got a lovely sign in front, and if people come, they might catch you doing blacksmithing or tinsmithing. That's right, and we have uh, a number of uh, other craftspeople with work in our shop, but our interest and our focus in our shop is on traditional handmade functional items. So we try to handle things that people would have made to use rather than uh, purely decorative items. And that's something I think has really been lost. So many... So many utilitarian, of course I can't say it now, utilitarian, so many practical things. Utilitarian. There you go. <laughs> uh, so many um, things are just sort of basic and blockish and ugly. And it used to be that they really went out of their way to make things beautiful. I mean, even if they were just to be used, they'd have swirls and curls and uh, gilding and raised impressions and really a lot of beauty to it. And I think that you guys incorporate a lot of that into your uh, items that you make. So I think everybody would enjoy getting to see your shop. So moving on to Laura Day's. How did you get involved with the Laura Ingalls Wilder days in Pepin? Well, it was an idea that was just waiting for its time. Uh, I guess we moved to Pepin in 1983, and when we first moved here, the Laura Ingalls Wilder Society was an active society, but they didn't have a museum and there was no event uh, connected with Laura Ingalls Wilder in town, and yeah, that was about everybody the first time said, I was we there. need a museum, we need an event, and uh, within a few years, the Laura Ingalls Wilder Memorial Society did buy a building to be their museum. Yeah, the first I, I should time say, I the first time I was there, it was still the gift shop. The uh, I think it was called the Wagon Wheel Gift Shop, something like oh, that. Oh yeah, right. And, yeah, the the Laura Ingalls Wilder Society did acquire the land where the wayside is and had built the wayside log cabin. Uh, that was built in the 70s. Um, and then when the railroad depot was saved, I believe that was in 1985, the Laura Ingalls Wilder Society had kind of hoped that that might work out as a museum for them, but in fact, it was uh, just very small and didn't work out. That there were there were more people with more different ideas for that space than there was space. So they were very happy then when they got their own museum in the late 80s. So anyway, then they had a museum, and then people said, "Well, we still need a an event." And the Laura Ingalls Wilder Memorial Society was kind of extended to their limits, but some other people said, oh, well, an event will be easy. We'll do it. And <laughs> somehow it got on the calendar, and uh, nobody had done anything other than put it on the calendar, and it got to be August. Ooh. And 
the, it was scheduled for the first weekend in October. We thought it would be just lovely with uh, leaves changing, which indeed it is in the beginning of October. But anyway, it was getting on late in the summer, and there were no plans, and we had kind of an emergency meeting, and uh, my husband said, well, we'll get the crafts demonstrations together, which we did. You know, there were half a dozen people, and everybody kind of pulled together and got the event together, and it was perfectly awful because it snowed, but it was really pretty well attended, and in spite of everything seeming to be against it, it was a successful event because, yes, we did need an event. Uh, but after that, that was that was a one-day event in 1991. And uh, then, you know, we started thinking a little earlier, like the second weekend in October, we started talking <laughs> about what we were going to do next year. And That's decided, always a good maybe, idea. Uh, maybe a little earlier, so we didn't run the risk of snow. And uh, we decided to make it a two-day event. Uh, Clearly, from the first event, we could see that one of the big draws was going to be the Laura contest. A huge number of little girls came out in calico to the first event. So from there, it has grown, and uh, it seems like... Maybe the first five years, they were they were successful, but just everybody was running hard to stay a little bit behind. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed like it came together and felt like a real event. And we began to see regulars, children that were coming every year, and we'd see them growing up. And of course now. 20 years later, some of those children are bringing their children. Yeah. And it's just been, it's developed into such a nice family event. It really and is. It, it has a real nice family uh, theme to it. You really, I, I don't, I think anybody can feel comfortable taking their kids to, to your event, which I think is wonderful. It isn't always true of small-town events. They tend to have kind of a little bit of a dark side, but your guys is, is just wonderful. It's you know safe and lovely and lots of stuff for all ages. And that's always, of course, something we've always worked on is having activities for a lot of different activities for children because although the Laura contest is a big draw for girls of a certain age, families come with kids of that are older and younger and male and female, and we try to... Uh, the, the books are full of interesting things for all children, and we try to have our event uh, honoring that and providing things for the children to do and look at. Well, I think you really succeed with that. So you started out with just a few crafters, and now you really have kind of a whole little Buckskinner's Rendezvous on that side of the park. So uh, are a lot of those people the same year after year? Well, yeah. In fact, we first the first maybe even as many as five years, we were in the main park right next to the depot museum 
so yeah, we were there weren't very many of us. Uh, and then, as as it got more crowded, we moved a block away from the village park to the other area, and I would have to sit down and tally it up, but I think we do have three or four 20-year veterans, and then over the years we've picked up more more craftspeople. And, you know, I, I guess there, there are buckskinners there. I, I would say the main buckskinners are up on the hill, and the, the people who do the um, tomahawk throw, but a lot of the people who come to demonstrate are really serious professional craftspeople. Uh, they they do this for a living. They are I mean, they do the craft work for a living. They aren't in costume uh, reenacting the 1870s all the time. But they use hand tools with a level of skill that you probably wouldn't find at a typical rendezvous. Well, there's lots of interesting things to see there, lots of different sorts of crafts. I always enjoy walking through there. And uh, my friend Linda Starbuck uh, would be would think I was amiss if I didn't mention that uh, on Saturday night you always have a sort of little concert in that area with a, a band of some sort. That's her favorite thing. Yeah, we have a campfire and music. I guess that's that's a a more recent development. We didn't we didn't have that in mind when we started the event 20 years ago. But uh, oh, maybe 10 years ago, we started having candlelight crafts demonstrations. There's something kind of magical about doing things by the light of candles, and you just uh, It really you does. Don't, you don't realize it <laughs> until you until you see it how uh, how wonderful it is. But anyway, then it seemed like we needed a little more than just people trying to demonstrate crafts by candlelight. So we built the campfire and started having music there, and that is a a very nice low key end to what has always been a very busy, hectic day. Well, it is. I hope it's. I hope it's relaxed for the people who are visiting. But yes, it's, there's a it's lot to a run around thing. and see. There Excuse is. Uh, well, and then the other area that you're really involved in with Laura Days is the essay contest. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, okay. Well, I guess I have to mention there isn't an essay contest this year. Oh, I'm disappointed. Uh, well, it's been. Uh, It hasn't been uh, generating as much interest the last few years. Uh, I've always tried to do too much. I know I talk about how nice it is to relax by the campfire. It's because I've always been running ragged. (laughs) But uh, for I think we had eight eight years of essay contests writing on the theme, How Laura Ingalls Wilder Influenced My Life. And we got just wonderful, wonderful essays some by uh by professional writers uh, and and then we had a children's division 
and it was a lovely contest, and I hope we'll revive it again, but it seemed like uh, the last last year we had not very many entries, and it just seemed like maybe we needed a break. Well, I can understand that, and you do have a lot of balls in the air during the event. And that's I, I'll mention in the context in the context of things that we don't do anymore. Before the essay contest, we had the reading marathon for uh, that ran for maybe eight years. Also, every year we would start. We'd have uh, continual readers, each person reading for about a half an hour, and then they the next person would come in and pick up where the first left off. And we read through, we'd always start with Little House in the Big Woods because that was set in the Pepin area. And then we would, uh, well, eventually we read through the entire series. And when we finished the series, we felt that that was done. But that also might be revived sometime. But it's it's good, I think, in an event to have some some changes. Yes. So those are two things that have changed. Okay. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the different areas that the uh, event um, that make up the event. So I'd say the first one is the one around the town park, and uh, there's various things going on there. There's uh, games and crafts for the kids. You kind of talked about a little bit. And then there, there's generally crafts for sale there as well, right? Yeah, there's a, a craft market. And, and the, the hope and, is that we'll be moving and having more original handcrafts in that market area. Well, that, that would be good. It's, it's always interesting to see. I think... Um, one of the things that I also got last year was a, a little log cabin somebody would made. And uh, there was, well, this was over in the Buckskinners area, but one of the woodcrafters has made a, a replica to specific measurements of Laura's lap desk. So there's, what you've had there handcrafted is good, and I'm interested to see what, what other things you come up with. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, then... There's also a fiddle contest. Yeah, that and that's uh, a slightly more recent event. And I say that over 20 years. I think maybe we're only in the fifth year of the fiddle contest. I should have probably looked that up so I'd be sure. Um, but that's been a very successful event, and we're kind of excited this year because uh, a violin company in Hillsboro, Wisconsin donated an, a fiddle from the early 1800s that will be the grand prize for the fiddle Ooh. contest. And, uh, that you know, is it's all about competition, but it is fun when you see people who are really good at something competing for a really good prize. There should be some great fiddle playing this year. Yeah, and it, it's a very um, serious event. I mean, these people are serious musicians and definitely very good. And, of course, everybody always associates fiddle playing and paw and, 
and the big woods. Uh, I think it's just an excellent thing that you have. And, and I don't think any of the other Laura sites have a fiddle contest as part of their event. So I think that's kind of a, a unique thing that Pepin does. Mm-hmm. And then the other big thing that's on the stage there, of course, is the Little Miss Laura contest. Now, uh, there's some difference in how the different sites run there, Little Miss Laura. So yours is open to everybody, right? Well, there are four age categories. They have an 8-year-old group, a 9-year-old group, a 10-year-old group, and an 11-year-old group. And they're the ones who are in the contest. Uh, And there's also a, a little sister group for five to seven year olds who are just they're in they can be introduced on stage but they don't compete. And the competition is uh based mostly on the knowledge of the life and times and writing of Laura Ingalls Wilder. So it's not really a look alike contest. Oops, well, are you there? Yes, I'm still here. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I thought no. I lost you again. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, usually we have one disaster uh, a program, so we're probably oh, okay. safe well, for the next rest of it. Yes. Um, so that's always a nice thing. And, but you have a lot of girls there. I was, was telling uh, them in my report from Independence, I think we had – Oh, I'd have to go back and check, but I it was it was definitely under ten girls in our contest down there, and you have like um, what? Well, do you know how many it was last year? I don't know about last year. I think last year there were maybe a smaller number. I know they used to not have the four age categories, and. They have had up to 70 or 80 girls, and it was really hard to choose one out of that many. So it was a big improvement to create four age categories, so there would be four winners. Uh, So you get more chances in Pepin, but there's a big crowd, so bring your very best Laura dress if you're going to enter that one. But you you don't have to be from Pepin for this one, Um, and... Do they have to, and I really don't remember, so uh, do they have to register before the day or can they just show up and register to be little? They can register the day of the event, I believe, and I'm just trying to, I was looking over materials and I thought it said at 8 o'clock, but right now I'm, oh, okay, there it is, at 9 o'clock, Saturday, Laura Contest and Little Sisters Registration. That's a little bit vague, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> is the well, registration I... at 9 o'clock or the contest at 9 o'clock? Uh, well, I think it's the registration. Cause yeah. I, I, I mean, okay, unless... yeah, the contest starts at noon, I see that. So the yeah. registration starts at 9. And and that's that's something that has changed over the years, and maybe this isn't of greatest interest to know how things have changed. But in the first few years, we tried to squeeze the Laura contest and the parade into the same day, and it was hard to finish up that contest and get a parade going all it. So now the parade is on a Sunday, so that uh, 
and be a little more relaxed in choosing yeah. a Laura winner and let it giving each girl a chance to answer her questions. Yeah, it was was kind of uh, a long event sometimes, it seemed like. So, yeah, it's it's probably good not to try and fit it in before the parade. Um, and I believe you have at least one other thing going on on that stage, some speaker, I think. Oh, yes, yes. Let's see. It's Laura uh, Day is presented by Sarah Utoff at 2 p.m., so I'm going to be uh, presenting on the main stage this year. So it's going to be a little bit different. I've been at the library for the last few years, so we'll see how this goes. And hopefully it goes well. And uh, we're always glad to put a little extra Laura in the Laura days. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I think that will be very good. And I should mention, uh, and this is not perhaps as... Uh, Laura oriented, but a a kickoff for the weekend has always been a 5K walk and a 5 and 10 10K run. Uh, It's the first thing in the morning on Saturday of Laura Ingalls Wilder Days. So it's kind of, you know, good to get your blood stirred up before a day of sightseeing. Yes, it is. And that's always an interesting thing to see, too. It's uh, uh, Quite a few people seem to participate in that as well. So if you're a walker or a runner, you, you definitely want to get in that to start off your Laura days. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the other area in town uh, is, well, I guess I should ask, and, and again, I should have probably asked this before, but are you doing your program then again this year? Yes, I will be doing my program on Sunday, and I have moved from the library also. Um, I'm moving, I've moved to the museum building, uh, the museum annex. They have a little classroom, and I do a slide presentation about Pepin at the time of Laura Ingalls Wilder uh, using old, mostly old photographs that I have uh collected over the years we've been here, and photographs of some of the old buildings that, uh, well, they were still standing when we came to Pepin that were here at the time that Laura Ingalls Wilder lived in the area, just and to it, give an idea of what the community was like at that time. And, and I'll just, be giving I'm just trying to give you a compliment, <laughs> because it's just a wonderful collection of pictures. It, it really is just very, very impressive, all of the pictures that you have managed to dig up to show how Pepin was and some really, really early ones and, you know, mixing that with ones that were a little bit later and pictures, you know, of buildings. Because unfortunately, you've lost several historic buildings in in the the last probably 10 years, but you at least have pictures of them. So I just think that is really interesting. And and, uh, I really enjoyed the part where you speculated on just which general store it was that Laura was talking about in Little House in the Big Woods. I really liked that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I just loved doing the research for this, but I did find that it's sort of like putting together a jigsaw puzzle, and most of the pieces are missing, but from one piece, 
if you tilt it one way, you get a pretty good picture, an idea of what the picture might have been, and then maybe you find another piece of uh, of information that that confirms that. But sometimes you find another piece of information that, oh no, that can't be right. That creates a different picture. But historical research is fascinating. It really is. It's it's like solving a mystery. Um, mm-hmm. So, is the museum having special hours, or are they just their their normal hours during the event? Well, I believe their hours are they're open uh, ten in the morning till five every day, and I believe those are the same hours for the weekend of uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder. Although I don't think they ever kick people out. <laughs> if they have a big crowd at five, no, they tend to be stay open. They tend to be really nice over there at the museum. So, and I would say that um, the museum, the park, um, pretty much that whole little downtown area is definitely walkable. Last year, I walked in my high-heeled boots. Let me repeat that. In my high-heeled boots, I walked from the motel I was staying at down the way down to the pickle factory. So I'd say it's definitely walkable and that in your comfortable tennis shoes, you can plan on just leaving your car and just walking all over the place. The one exception is that there are also events out at the cabin. And uh, as that is what I like to refer to as what must be the longest seven miles anywhere, it just seems to take forever, uh, you, f- you do get up to the birthplace cottage or cabin. And you can do that either by driving up yourself or there will be a bus tour, which is also, um, you don't get to stay there as long, but it's very interesting. And they normally point out uh, various things along the way. I really enjoyed that. And uh, you can get on that bus tour. It's going to be um, loading behind the um, stage area again this year, isn't it? I believe so. So that's a great thing. And then the Birthplace Cabin, a few years ago, a local quilt group took over. So they have a quilt display. They usually have a couple little different crafts. And... um, I'm not exactly sure how well how it's going to work this year because one of the people who I know volunteers to do it isn't going to be there. But they uh, usually have a hands-on sew-your-own-quilt block, uh, hands-on craft area up there, too, at the picnic table. So uh, a lot of the girls just absolutely love to do that, to get to sew, uh, sew their quilt square. And then they have quilts on display, and they have a story they tell by Quilt Square. And so there's a lot of interesting things going on up at the cabin, too. And this year they are promising to have a little bit of music up there, which always makes it a little extra fun. It does. It's it's You know, that's uh, one of the things that I did get out of uh, 1900 House, which was that documentary series that uh, one of the British television people did. Oh, yeah. And, and there were so many errors in it that I just wanted to smack them. But one of the things that I really got was the woman said that she hadn't heard music in so long. And we are used to being so passive in our music and back then, you know, they they would make it, and and it just has has always stuck with me that uh, 
how important music was in making music. So I'm glad to hear that. That will be a definite good addition. Now, um, we are, we've got about 12 minutes left, which is surprising because I thought we were, <laughs> that uh, I didn't realize it was that late till I just checked. So we should probably go ahead and make sure that we get uh, the dates for this year in. Okay, September 10th and 11th, 2011. It's always the second full weekend of September. And uh, it seems to have either really good luck with the weather or bad luck with the weather. But there, I've been there for some absolutely beautiful days, and you just—it's just gorgeous. And then sometimes it rains and it's cold. So bring clothes for both. But even if it rains and it's cold, there's lots of stuff going on, and it's well worth walking around and seeing everything. Mm-hmm. So I, sh- I want to mention something that's new this year. Um, on Sunday, we're going to have a costume promenade. Uh, and that will be in the main park area by the stage. And just everybody who's in costume will have a chance to walk across the stage. And I think that will be great fun. I've been impressed as the years have gone by. I feel like I'm seeing more people more entire families that come in costume. It's, we've always had the the girls who were competing in the Laura contest in costume, but we're seeing more complete family groups, and I I am glad they will have a chance to 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 show off on stage and strut their stuff. Well, that does sound like a good addition. I, I'm glad that's that's being added. Um, before I want to make sure that we get through a couple of these things, for people who are considering coming to Laura Days for the first time, there's a couple travel questions that I always like to ask so that they can feel comfortable about coming because if I'm going to a new event, I know I always get freaked out about some of this stuff. So uh, where would you recommend that people park if they're coming for the event? Well, of course, as you say, Pepin is an easy-to-walk community, and I uh, guess going back to why we moved to Pepin, one of the things we were looking for was a community that had a school, a hardware store, a grocery store, and we could walk from downtown to the country uh, easily. So that's Pepin. Really, any... uh, any of the streets are available for parking unless they're, you know, on parade day they're marked because they want people to be able to see the parade. Uh, the, the village park is one entire block and there um, is parking on the streets around that block. Uh, so just just sort of generally look around for the side streets, find a place to park, and um, it should be should be fine. It, it it really is definitely all within walking distance, so you don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, let me mention there's there is a brochure that tells about times and schedules. Uh, we have a website, www. Laura Days, 
www.ncpa.org. And it tells it has a downloadable brochure, tells about all the different events. It has some fun pictures showing past events, and it has entry forms for the um, fiddle contest and for the Laura contest. So that, if you're online, that would be a good way to get some of this information. And it has maps on this website. All very useful. So yes, that was. I'm glad you mentioned that. I I meant to earlier, and you're right, I didn't. So it's a great uh, place to go and to look for the information. So, where would is there any place to stay in Pepin? There are several hotels. Of course, this is a community of 800. Several hotels and or motels and some bed and breakfasts. Uh, I'm not sure what, I think that probably by this point for that weekend, things might be booked already. Uh, There are larger communities that are not too far away. There's uh, Wabasha, Minnesota, and Red Wing, Minnesota, and Durand, Wisconsin are all fairly easy drive from Pepin. Again, I guess I would suggest that you uh, look at the website, uh, pepinwisconsin.org, and there's, there's a list of all the places to stay in town. Okay. Well, definitely. Websites for Wabasha and Red Wing and Durand. Uh, so... Um, then I just want to mention briefly, because this is another thing as a traveler I always look for, there are public restrooms on the grounds of the park, nice big modern restrooms, so you don't have to worry about that. They don't actually have any at the museum, um, but there are some in the park um, and just you know around town where you would normally expect to find bathrooms. Uh, there's also a lot of food vendors on the grounds of the park during the event. Um, and there'll be things like popcorn and hot dogs and burgers and homemade pie and all sorts of different things like that. Yeah, and the Laura Ingalls Wilder Days Committee, um, which is an all-volunteer committee. This is this is not a not a well-funded event by any means, but one of the ways in which this event is supported is by the chicken dinner that the Laura Ingalls Wilder Days Committee sells at the event. They have chicken and fresh sweet corn. And and isn't let's see, it has a name on it, doesn't it? Isn't it Laura's Vittle House or something? It's I think you're right. I think it does have that name. Because I always thought that was funny. You know me, we I have, love we a bad have some funny people on our committee. <laughs> So that's uh, in kind of that's probably the largest food stand on the grounds if you're looking for it. So look for the Laura's Vittle House sign to support the committee because we definitely want to keep this group going. But there are also um, one of I would say one of the unique things about Pepin as a town um, of that size is it has some really outstanding restaurants. Um, the there's a couple of them that are famous that. There's a, uh, there's one that was in a former pickle factory 
called the Pickle Factory. There's one that um, is called the Garden Pub, and it's an outdoor restaurant, which I've eaten there even when it's really cold and rainy out, so it's kind of a fun thing to do. But there's just all an unusually amount of, of really good restaurants in Pepin, I think. And and I don't want to... We have a couple restaurants that really focus on using locally grown, uh, oh, more wholesome whole foods uh, and cooking things from scratch, which is getting back to the handmade theme of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Well, I don't want to... Um... I'm sure there's a list of those on the brochure, too. I don't want to call you out, make you say a favorite and, and tick somebody off. But there's really a great bunch of restaurants in town. And um, I, I really strongly encourage people to, if you possibly can, stay a couple of days in Pepin, especially if you go for the Laura event, because there's all sorts of things going on. And there's all sorts of little shops to explore. There's there's a lovely little um, art gallery area that usually is something interesting. There's all these restaurants, and it's uh, just a, a lovely thing. I think you can easily spend a couple days in Pepin. And, in fact, a lot of people do come down from the Twin Cities just to spend the, the weekend in Pepin. So uh, it's definitely a fun thing to do. And um, why don't we just say one more time to... Um, really drive it home. The dates for the event this year are September 10th and 11th. And the website is www.lauradays.org And your book is, if they're looking for it? The Village of Pepin at the Time of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And um, they can find the uh, information for that on the PepinWisconsin.com website. And you have a website too, right? We do, yes. That is such a complicated so, so if you, if, web if they, address. If they search for um, Tom Latane, it'll come up though, wouldn't it? Well, in fact, yes, it, there's a link, a live link on the Village of Pepin website. Okay, so that they can t- go that way too. So um, we're down to just over a minute. So thank you so much, for Kitty, uh, Kitty, for coming on this this week to talk to us about the Laura Days in Pepin and the history of it and the current events. And I, um, I, I really appreciate you sticking with us even after our technical malfunction, but uh, I think we uh, recovered well. Well, yes, yes. It worked out just fine. Well, honored to be included. Thank you for having me on. Well, I'm very glad you could, and maybe we'll have to try it again sometime, and hopefully we won't have quite such a big technical error. So I'm going to go ahead and take you back off air, Kitty, so uh, thank you for uh, being on again, and there you go. Okay, and uh, to everybody else, I just want to thank you for uh, visiting with us again. Uh, we check the website uh, 
for the updates of those upcoming shows. I think we've got some good ones coming up, and I hope that you'll enjoy them. And as always, uh, be sure that uh, if you miss any, you can check them by both streaming them on the from the website, or you can also download them and take them with you in iTunes. And thank you for sticking with me with, during the technical difficulties, too. So I'm going to go ahead and play us out. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.